is your life, and it's ending one minute at a time. I was blind, but now I see. Working jobs we hate, so we can buy shit we don't need. Ideas are wonderful. If you had one shot, everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now you fucking khakis. Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking Secret Show. In today's episode, I sit down with Lou Lim, founder and CEO of Violite Inc. Lou is an expert in photobiomodulation, PBM, and has invented several wearable PBM and low-level light therapy devices, particularly intranasal light therapy systems designed to address neurological issues. If you're not familiar with photobiomodulation, the Cliffs notes are that visible red and near-infrared light has been proven to stimulate cells to generate more energy and undergo self-repair. Light energy, for example, absorbed intranasally is converted into ATP for use in the cell's mitochondria. Lou's work using photobiomodulation to treat Alzheimer's patients is currently in the clinical trial phase and showing incredibly promising results. In today's episode, we discuss an amazing wearable photobiomodulation device used to biohack systemic inflammation. We also discuss the most effective ways to use light hacks to improve neuroplasticity and increase cognitive function, and the specific light frequencies you can use to sharpen the mind and stimulate energy production at a cellular level. So without further ado, please sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Lou Lim. Hey everyone, I know you'll enjoy the interview. If you'd like to learn more of my top biohacking secrets, get a free copy of my best-selling book called The Biohacker's Guide to Upgraded Energy and Focus for free at biohackersguide.com. It's over 500 pages of my top biohacks and I'll send it to you for free if you cover a small shipping cost. Get your free copy at biohackersguide.com. Lou, tell me the story about how you went from a Silicon Valley engineer to a doctor of naturopathy and an expert in neuroscience and one of the considered one of the worldwide best in class experts for low level light therapy. I think my you know there are lots of experts in this field. You may not have heard of them, but I think where I defer is I'm also an inventor. So with my engineering background, I'm able to put this knowledge together into wearable products like what we have. So I guess that's my difference. And I think from, uh, you know, I being in the field, both in research and, you know, actually dealing with people, we get a lot of feedback. So we get a, a real firsthand understanding of uh, what the effect of this field called photobiomodulation is on people. And that kind of feedback actually helps us to do our products better. Uh, you'll be surprised what comes out of when people start using the product, you know. So anyway, that's I think that maybe that's where we differ. And I like always to to emphasize on products that are usable, wearable, affordable, and you know effective. So I guess that's where where I am. But um, I, I think this whole thing started when I was in the Silicon Valley doing. Um, uh, probably unrelated engineering work, but we were in the field of display, so we get you know a chance to play around with um, display products. And when I came across the Russians um, who are telling us that they you know they come across the this medical technology where they inject low-level red lights into the vein, they get these fabulous outcomes of you know better health in general. But more specifically, uh, they reduce the risk of cardiovascular events like heart attacks and 
uh, you know, and the risk of the traveling embolism, which is blood clots traveling to your body, say after surgery, uh, that increases the risk of, uh, you know, fatal risks. So, and then they, they went on to um, other evidence like uh, you know, reduction of hypertension and uh, blood lipid level, you know, sugar level in your blood, and you know, which which has implications for diabetes. So it was, it was very very interesting. So I thought, you know, there must be. It's all about delivering photons into your body, into your circulatory system. So I thought if there's a way that you can have all these benefits without sticking a needle into your body, it makes a world of difference. So we found. So I thought. Uh, the nose is a good place because it is rich with blood capillaries and it is close to the membrane. And you, you have other alternative places where, you know, low, low power can deliver photons into your body, uh, like under the tongue, perhaps, or, you know, anus, which is not as convenient as putting into your nose. So that was really a great rationale. And the nose, the other added, added benefit is uh, further down the road, we've, you know, we found that uh, by being close to the brain, it actually has more advantages than even sticking a needle into your, into your circulatory system. So being close to the brain also gives you the opportunity to have better effects on neurological outcomes. So it's not only just indirect photons going to your circulatory system, it's also directly illuminating the areas of your brain. And uh, we can go into more detail like like why we have different wavelengths. I think this, maybe I should talk about it because it's relevant. Now, if you have a, a source in the nose, uh, fairly close to the brain, and when you use a longer wavelength like what we do for the brain, the near-infrared light. Near-infrared light is longer wavelength, and it has deeper penetration. So you're, you're referring to uh, like the, the Violite 810, which is 810 nanometers, or like right. the Violite right. Neuro, which also... I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, utilizes the same wavelength. Yes, correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then we pulse it at 10 hertz, which is 10 times a second. We, uh, based on a study by, you know, by the labs of Michael Hamblin, Hamblin's lab in, in Harvard Medical School uh, on an animal where they find that when they pulse 810 at 10 hertz, they use something called a uh, neurological severity score, say when, when it is scored on simulated traumatic brain injury, uh, you want to assess how fast the brain recover by using the score. So, so the lower the score, the better, generally. And they get a lower score when they pulse it at 10 hertz, 10 times a second. <laughs> now, the other interesting thing out of this is, uh, this is also a brainwave frequency or, or oscillation that a lot of neurofeedback practitioners are also looking for because this is where your brain wave is when you're not doing any tasks, when you're resting, when you close your eyes and your brain gets into this meditative state and some healing process. So that's a tension. So it's kind of a, you know, a convergence of two benefits. And we found evidence uh, when we do a, what we call a QEEG brain map, you can actually see the brain responding you can so see that's it responding in, in, in real time. <laughs> Sorry? Does it respond in real time or is that a pre-post? Uh, we did it with a neuro, even the 810 and the neuro, uh, uh, with this new technology and neurofeedback, and we can actually see the brain 
responding real time. All right. I, I've been using your technology for months now and, and experienced some profound benefits myself. We'll go into the, the different benefits of the, the 655 versus the 810 versus the neuro in just a little bit. But maybe we can take a step uh, back first and, and explain what is photobiomodulation? What is low-level light therapy? And why is it something that people should start paying attention to? You know, the community who are in research, and we're talking about great top-tier research institutions, top universities doing it. Uh, people who are in, involved in it, we, we say we've joined the cold aid because we've seen you know, the kind of benefits both in animal study, cell culture, and on human beings. But unfortunately, uh, we're not a big circle, and a lot of people in the mainstream medical community are not aware of this. So when we actually present it, they are skeptical, you know, they think we're a bunch of quacks. But I think the evidence is building up. Um, you know, some of the work we're doing, I hope, will actually, you know, get them to pay some attention. But getting, <clears throat> getting back to the science, so there are quite a number of publications already in PubMed, but I'll explain the basic, the fundamental concept behind this. This is, photobiomodulation is also known as low-level light therapy for a long time, and before that, it was low-level laser therapy because of the, because that's where you all first started using, a, you know, using laser at low energy levels. Now, Photo means light, as you know, bio relates to your bio system, and modulation is, you know, just creating the change. Uh, it could be better, it could be worse, but it does, you know, create, it modulates the, the system. So that's a very good description of what this does. Now, there are a lot of equipment already in the market. There are equipment that are used by dentists, you know, in, in their practice. There are people who use it, like chiropractors, for pain management. And then there are, you know, hair growth is a very popular application. Actually, works better than the drugs has been described. Prescribed. I think it's actually catching up and maybe starting to overtake the prescription drugs for hair growth, and which is good that come with some pretty nasty side effects in some cases. Yeah. yeah. No men must start to grow boobs, so you gotta watch out for. <laughs> yeah. You got <laughs> hair, but you also got a pair of boobs. <laughs> yeah. Right. So these are a lot of applications. Actually, um, you may not be aware, but a lot of Olympic teams actually use low-level laser therapy to help with their, their recovery after exercise. It improves the endurance. And quite a lot of work is done by, uh, especially by the Brazilians, but you know, a lot of, even I think the US Olympic teams, uh, the, the coaches have also adopted you know, this and using the equipment to help with training and, and I would say even in uh, performance enhancement. So the studies done, um, you know, there are studies out there that shows you um, both in, actually even in human studies in Brazil, they actually uh, tested on volleyball players. If they were treated with low level laser therapy before the event, they actually perform better. They measure, uh, you know, the the amount of oxygen, the blood, and so on, you know, during and after the uh, event, and it's better. Was that using a pulse oximeter to measure blood, blood well, oxygen saturation? Well, equipment that have super pulse, quite a lot of power, um, that, you know, if you have bruises, they actually deliver the light to certain parts of your body. They're tested by, you know, testing your, your strength, recovery, 
and strength and endurance in your say the biceps muscles. They've done all that. So the 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 the, uh, the change both in measuring the oxygen level in the blood and also the performance is, is quite significant. And also, you know, no side effect. That's the great thing about it. I think uh, it's pretty prevalent in virtually, uh, you know, the Olympic Olympic teams all over the world. And I, I'll say the main research is done in Brazil and China. And a lot of this, a lot of this originated in Russia, correct? And and is based on this light light therapy, light using this similar technology has been around for decades. I mean, it started as IV blood radiation, which was pretty invasive, where they would take yeah. blood out of the body and then expose right. it to UV light and then put it back in the body. But now it's evolved to something that people can do in the comfort of their own home. How does, how does the role of pathogens in the blood, where does that fit into light therapy and what, the, what your technology is doing for people? So when you talk about the UV blood irradiation, what they do is they strike blood out of the body into a chamber where they direct UV light and then redirect the blood back into your body and apparently it does then have a systemic effect on the body. To me, blue light does one major thing, um, actually two things. One is if you do it this way, you actually kill the bacteria because it's antimicrobial. I actually have a research going on with Harvard right now and developing something along that line. So the the systemic effect is, you know, the mechanism is not very clear. But it's, it is, like, like correct, it's invasive. you got to go somewhere where somebody, there's, FDA has not approved this, so it's got to be, you know, somewhere where someone's willing to, to, to do this. It, the, the mechanism is different. Uh, here you're talking about killing pathogens, whereas what we're doing is, and here's important, I, I should have gone into, you know, fundamental concept is to deliver light to the cells of your body. Now here's this thing, if the cells of your body is not functioning optimally, which means that it is not in homeostasis, it will respond to red, a near infrared light and start to repair itself. And that's because, you know, the mitochondria in the cells, the mitochondria is responsible for synthesizing ATP which is the cellular energy. So the mitochondria has an enzyme in its, you know, somewhere along this respiratory chain that receives the photons and starts going through this, this process. Is that, now, is that cytochrome C oxidase? Cytochrome C oxidase, yeah, correct. You got it. Now, what comes after that is the, the ATP that it synthesizes as well as another substance called the ROS, which is reactive oxygen species, which is actually uh, an oxidant but at low level. Now, both these substances lead to gene transcription and then lead to the cellular repair and wound healing. So it starts a process of healing. Now, that is really, and then the other thing it does is it also releases nitric oxide back into the body now, very often your, your mitochondria is not functioning optimally because of the accumulation of nitric oxide in, in the chain. Now, nitric oxide has really interesting properties too, one of which is uh, it relaxes the, you know, the, the blood vessel wall, which means that your circulation improves and people look for that. And nitric oxide does other, other things too. It helps with 
your whole system, your your central nervous system, uh, you know, and, and so on. So there are quite a number of things going on. So the whole idea about photobiomodulation is pretty established. On you know the mechanism is pretty established. So what what we want to do is deliver this light energy to the mitochondria. You can do it with high power uh, laser. I wouldn't say really high power, it's relatively higher than what we do to get a penetration to say your joints, to relieve pain, you know, to reduce inflammation. But my hypothesis is to get, you can deliver into your body through say the nose, for example, get into the circulatory system and get these photons delivered systemically throughout your body. So that's the principle of intranasal. Now we've added, for the brain, we've added the, um, um, you know, the other modules for the brain too. Tell me about the time when you saw some of the research, when you had that aha moment, that there's, there's something here that, that deserves my attention and, and kind of led you down this path. What, what studies really sparked your interest and, and got your attention initially? When I had the idea in my head, you know, you never know what the outcomes are. And we were not like a research lab that we could go and do proper control studies on cells and animals and then hopefully on human. But the other related evidence already showed. And so you, what you do, you just try on yourself, right? <laughs> and then, uh, but you know, the thing is, we had to wait another 10 years before we could develop something that is usable by by the everyday folks, something small for the nose, because at that time, the solid state technology was not advanced enough for us to go and develop something like that. So we were still doing other engineering stuff until the 2000s, you know, we released our first product sometime around 2005, based on low-level laser, and, you know, it's... We never advertised, it was kind of adopted and people started talking about it and it just, it just grew from there. And then we were getting feedback. Um, what's interesting is the Chinese, as I mentioned earlier, started using the blood, you know, the blood radiation, the, the uh, intravenous method in, in, in hospitals. Well, they had this, in parallel, they, you know, they figured out the same thing too. So they... At that time, they did not develop like a commercial laser clip, but they could just direct optic fiber with lasers into the nose and started getting a results in the control study. So, so we had a benefit of using knowledge from there, and uh, and we do share you know some information with the Chinese researchers too. And you said this technology has now been adopted by the Health Ministry of China, correct? Yeah, officially, but it's not. Uh, but there's some politics going on in the Chinese system. I, I'm not really involved in with what's going on in China, but this is because I'm in contact with the researchers there. We sometimes get in a conversation. So the, it is approved by the ministry. Uh, it is very widely used by the public. They actually buy directly from certain manufacturers, uh, but they only have in China at this time. They only have the. Um, the low-level laser version because everybody started from there. Uh, but we've we've patented our own. You know, we I, we actually own a patent for putting to the nose. The patent is in the U.S. But the the Chinese have their own version. But they have pretty much stayed with the laser. We have moved ahead with non-laser. We have moved ahead with infrared. 
uh, we've moved ahead with the you know, you know transcranial combination with intranasal for the brain. And I can tell you that uh, that version actually is giving even more, you know, more profound results than just the nose. Yeah. So there are devices in Hong Kong and China that people are using this technology, but it, it differs from yours in they, they're not pulsing at the 10 hertz, correct? Uh, no, they, yeah, they don't pulse. They haven't got a near infrared. So yeah, that is just completely strict six, 655 or 660 nanometers, which is that. Yeah, they that use, yeah, yeah, they use, they use six, uh, I've seen them using 660, 670, uh, 680, six, like all the 655. But they, yeah, that's normally around that range that they use. What type of results are you seeing in people using your technology, like the, the neuro? You guys have some exciting studies that you're working on in the Alzheimer's space. Are there any particular anecdotal cases that you can share right now that you're pretty excited about? Well, we actually have um, an Alzheimer patient that's four on our technology for four years now. Now, when he's he's from British Columbia, um, he's, forget he's about eight years old. When he started, you know, we only had an intranasal eight ten available at the time. When he started, he was assessed as having significant cognitive impairment, which means that he he was not able to you know, uh, relate socially with people, which is typical with Alzheimer's. And at that time, he had forgotten the names of his family. Uh, he was a skilled craftsman, and especially in woodwork. Uh, he had to, you know, close his workshop, and then he, everywhere he goes, he has to be accompanied by his family members. Whereas before, he had the onset of the disease. He was like the life of the party. Uh, one year later, uh, he was reassessed as him being borderline normal. Um, when I met him, he was going to reopen his workshop. He was able to drive on his own to the supermarket and do his own shopping and so on. So that's uh, that's profound. You know, that's like four years ago when he started reassessed three years ago. Now he is quite independent. He's still maintaining and he's using a neuro to to help him with his you know, his life better. Now, after him, we do have several other anecdotal cases. There was a case of a of a woman. Uh, she's from Quebec. She's about 70 years old. She had lost all short-term memory function. A couple of months later, the son called me up and was telling me the story. That, uh, you know, previously she could not, you know, she could not remember what happened the day before. Now she remembers Everything you know, she can she can tell you what happened yesterday, and, and so, so she has recovered short-term memory function. The last time I spoke to them was many months ago, and uh, she hasn't recovered some of the other functions uh, yet. But you know, as far as short-term memory, that's profound. Then we started a a control study, uh, actually a randomized control study. We we would call it a feasibility or pilot study because. When we started, uh, that was the whole idea to to do this study and to learn more on the protocol on what to do. Nineteen people, there were twelve on um, on treatment, six six on placebo or sham devices. Actually, all, particularly those who are low functioning, uh, those who have moderate to to uh, significant impairments 
has significant improvements. After uh, after six months, and as they are still maintaining it, so so that's never been found in a human study before. So we're gonna we are writing up a paper now and hopefully get it published in a few months' time. So you're getting pretty incredible results with people who have essentially had the medical community tell them that there's no hope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's impressive. How do you use light therapy in your life? I, uh, as you know, I have several devices. You know, I, I play around with a different wavelength. But basically, I, I use the A10 more than others, just the intranasal. I sometimes use the neuro, but, you know, I, I, I just do it when I go to bed. Because of my busy schedule, I often forget. But I, I have the devices on the bedside table. It's hard to remember. I put an A10 on and I go to sleep. And I quickly go to sleep. And, I, and, I, and you know it shuts up automatically after 25 minutes. That's it. Just, um, that's how I do it. That's how I remember to do it every day. And uh, I say that my mind is at least as sharp, or not sharper than, than when I'm 60 years old now, and as sharp as when I was when I was 30 years old. So it's good to me. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 great. Yeah, yeah. As, us guys, as we get older, you know, it's it's very exciting, and it, it gives you feel a feeling of optimism to hear that aging is not inevitable. You know, chronologically, it's it's inevitable, but we don't have to accept pain and cognitive decline and some of these other chronic degenerative conditions as a normal part of aging. We can maintain lucidity and sharp mm-hmm. mental mental clarity and sharpness into 60s, 70s, 80s if we have the right habits and technology. Yeah. You know, uh, I tell people we cannot reverse the irresistible source of aging. You know, we all die one day and we accept it. But I think what we can try to do is to be as, to be as healthy as possible at one particular age. And like you say, hopefully pain-free and, you know, disease-free. And uh, and go when you want to go when you're ready to go. Yeah, yeah. It's funny that that you mentioned using the neuro before bed because I've I've found that to be the most sustainable time to do it as well. Particularly, you know, I've had I've I've had the the Violite six fifty five and the eight ten in when clients will come over (laughs) and the first time they see it when they when they haven't witnessed me wearing it before is always a priceless reaction. But yeah, I just caught a nap earlier and I I put on the neuro, turned it on, fell asleep. You know, it shuts off on its own, and, and it's great. Yeah. The one thing I yeah, did... You know, the neuro is not as easy to use as the A10, the intranasal. Right. So so people will just put the A10 on, and it's mm-hmm. really, really comfortable. I think you know it's pretty comfortable. It doesn't it doesn't impair your lifestyle. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah no, you can clip it on your shirt or your belt and go about your day and, uh, and, and, and work on whatever you're working on, even if you want to exercise. The neuro I noticed had said it had recommended not using it back to back days. Yeah, so I, I, I came up with a recommendation for one main reason is because it is so much more powerful than than the intranasal alone. The device, the A10, just the intranasal piece of the neuro is double the power of the A10. You know, then you have the other 
You have 12 LEDs on the top of your head, and each one is four times the power because you want the penetration into, you know, to the brain. So there's more like a precaution. Now, what's really interesting is we've got quite a lot of neurons now in, in, you know, in the field, but no one's actually reported a headache like some used to do when, when they used the 810, for example, just the, the, the nose, which is, you know, quite interesting. So I, I think it's because it has it is a more holistic treatment. It's not just coming out of the nose where the light will just have to find its way to the rest of the brain. But the other... LEDs are also pointing into the brain, and they are designed to point to the default mode network of the brain. The, let me explain the default mode network. It, it is a network when when you do nothing, your your brain never stops working. When you do nothing, this network get kicks in, and uh, no one knows exactly what it does. But you know, it could be related to a healing process. It could be clearing junk from your brain and consolidating learning and memory. But people know what happens when there's dysfunction in the default mode network because there's really good brain imaging technology now. And dysfunction of the default mode network is now identified with very clearly now Alzheimer's disease. Are, are you referring so to, just, just so we're all on the same page, are you referring to the glymphatic system and the glial cells that clear beta amyloid plaques? Like what, what goes on while we sleep? Is that the same as the default network or are we talking about different things? No, it's a, it's a different way of looking at it. So what you mentioned are actually the cells and, you know, the, uh, the, the, the stuff that's living in the brain, but the network is where the connections are made. So uh, you're talking about connecting the several different parts of the brain Having highly, uh, very, they are highly connected and highly active at certain time. Like the default mode, mode network is highly active when you are not doing anything, and you and brain on brain imaging they can see the nodes. The the nodes are like you know, like where all the, a lot of the connections happen, like railway junctions, are where they're active when when the default mode network kick in. Now we say in L, where the plaques and the tangles are formed they accumulate at the nodes of the default mode network. So when we design the neuro to, to point at the nodes, we are actually treating the neurons or the nuclei in these areas. And that's how that's the hypothesis in trying to make a treatment more effective for, say, a condition like Alzheimer's. Even Parkinson's disease actually is related to uh, dysfunctioning in the default mode network. They've identified schizophrenia, chronic pain, you know, a bunch of other things. So the neuro, you mentioned the intranasal component of the neuro is twice as strong as the intranasal component of your 810 at the yeah. same wavelength. It's got twice as much power. Yeah. I did, yeah. I did notice it looked different, and I wasn't sure if that was because you had updated the design, um, but this, that, makes, <laughs> that, that makes sense. That, that is a, there's a microchip in there to handle the power. And oh, lower it. all right. Okay. So, so it's pretty high tech. Yeah. Not okay. anyone in the street can, can do that. Yeah. What, one of uh, one of my clients saw me and joked that uh, I'm like a kid who's always putting crayons up my nose with <laughs> the different Violite devices. And then the the neuro does that also pulse at 10 hertz? Yes, they all they pulse. They're synchronized to pulse at 10 hertz. Okay. And have you found that 10 hertz pulsing to similar to what the way that frequency following response and like brain entrainment works? 
does that bring the brain into an alpha state, which which is the same state that is elicited by meditation? Yeah, I, I think it does because uh, we can see the brain responding. Um, you know, like I mentioned before, in, in the QEEG, either you look at the, the brain waves or the, the map itself, so you can actually see uh, the brain getting into a normative state. I think what neurofeedback practitioners want to do is to to reestablish normative normative functions in the different wavelengths. Um, and pretty often people are looking to do the you know alpha entrainment. You could try different wavelengths, uh, but it is you know you got to be really experienced and be an expert in what you do. But uh, but I think alpha is a pretty common entrainment uh, frequency. Yeah, it, it's um, one of the things I talk about in the book is how. You know, you have this spectrum of, on, on one end, you have the people that are at the, the pinnacle of performance, the elite athletes, the, the, you know, the, the individuals that are winning mental awards and things like that. And then on the other end, you have people that are dealing with these degenerative conditions like Alzheimer's and, and, and uh, Parkinson's. And those extremes inform the mean, but not necessarily the other way around. Along with that, so you're studying individuals with Alzheimer's, but do you feel that this technology can be used by the average person to enhance their cognitive performance? Yes, I think so. I'm, I'm speaking from personal experience. Um, I, I think it has maybe increased my IQ points, but I wouldn't say it made me super genius. You know, I think I think the important thing is it has. I don't know what I, my brain would have become if I hadn't used it, so I have no idea. But but University of Texas actually did a couple of studies on college students. So they did it over, they published uh, last year, they published one before, year before last, and they started uh, three years ago, four years ago. Where the first study showed that they had better control over the emotional state. Then they uh, did another review paper and showed that actually their, their memory retrieval is quicker and more accurate. And then last year, they published one that shows that they are better at decision-making using, I think it was a car test. So, and what they did was direct light to the brain from the uh, lateral brief frontal cortex. And they, they achieved that. So, uh, here you have a control study of normal people and found that their, their cognitive performance is better. So, I, I guess, you know, it, it's a really a good wearable device for people wants to pre prevent, first of all, getting some kind of neurological problem. But I think it, you know, maybe it keeps them at a good a cognitive performance level. Yeah, the, the risk profile is very favorable. Tremendous benefits that have been reported in, in PubMed studies and even, as you mentioned earlier, in other languages, Russian, Chinese, Portuguese, as, as is being done in Brazil. Individuals that are very stressed and in particularly like spend a lot of time in a high beta state, sometimes trying to meditate for those individuals can be problematic, but using brain entrainment technology like it, it can be established using the neuro and, uh, and, and your other violet devices it can be a way to almost override the brain and bring it into a more calm, relaxed state. Like you mentioned, stress they found in these studies, individuals that use this have lower levels of stress. So for people that have maybe tried meditation but not had a lot of luck, 
starting out with this could be a good primer and a way to, to get them feeling less stressed, correct? Yeah, yeah. We have people, uh, reports from people, even practitioners who they say it's reduced anxiety levels, sleep better, and even those with uh, you know chronic depression, which is which is really a chemical problem, but they, they improve. So there are a lot of people who swear by it actually. And I've got actually feedback from neurofeedback uh, practitioners who, and this is them telling me, you know, this, the, the A10 seems to entrain the brain faster than anything else they've used. So that's really interesting to me. And, and we're exploring what else we can do to support uh, these neurofeedback practitioners. Why does the 810 entrain the brain faster than the neuro if the neuro is also using the same frequency, just at a higher power? Uh, no, we were, I was just using 810 as an example. The neuro is probably faster. Oh, okay. You were referring to the, the wavelength, yeah, yeah. 810 nanometers. All right. Yeah, because a lot of them actually had the 810 before we developed the neuro. Okay. So that's the feedback. On, and I think, well, I'm getting feedback that the neuro actually is even better than, than the 810. Yeah, I, I personally gradually ascended up your product line. I started with the 655, then got the 810, then got the, the <laughs> Neuro, uh, because at each level up, the, the benefits continue to increase. And, oh, I feel it, yeah. yeah how, does, how, does the how does 655 nanometers, which is the traditional red wavelength, differ from the benefits that are derived from 810 nanometers? What's, what's going on in the body at each of those okay. wavelengths? Okay, so listen carefully. There is a uh, some work done in the lab by Juanita Anders, who is one of the leading researchers in this field. Now she experimented in directing different wavelengths of light past a, I would say, uh, past blood and water, and see what ends up on the other end. When you measure now. Isla and her collaborators in the lab found that actually almost all of the visible red wavelengths do not get past the blood and water. So it gets trapped in there somewhere. Uh, I say trapped because it's in physics, if you're not you know, converted into a you know, conservation of energy, you're not converted, something else is still there, but there wasn't any heat. So on the other side, uh, they, they measured very little out of the visible red, like like 633 we have and 655. Now when they did, uh, with longer wavelength, the near-infrared region, say past um, 800 nanometers, even, you know, in the, seven, late, the 700 plus, but mainly the 800 plus and above, more and more we get through. But the peak is at 810. So, at 810, they use uh, some measurements and look. It, it looks like about 85% of it gets run through. Now, here's where it's important in this whole concept. When we direct it from the nose, and remember, I talked about you know the nose having being rich in the capillary network. So when you do that, a lot of the um, the visible red, like 633 and 655, gets into the circulatory system, right? And when you direct 810, you can, you know, you have some evidence now to tell you that quite a lot of it goes past the circulatory system and goes travel deeper in, which means that it will travel to the brain and does this for the biomodulation process. Now, 
The next question could be, what happens to this, four, this light energy of photons when it gets into the, the, the circulatory system? Now in Australia, there was a paper published late last year introducing this concept, which they call circulating, circulating factors, because they don't exactly know what it is, because when they did an experiment uh, directing in red, actually, they call it near infrared, say to the, the fountain, the, you know, the, the bone of a, of, a, of a mouse, and showed that the brain, they found that actually the brain respond as well. So something's happening when they did direct near infrared to one part of the body, other parts of the body, including the brain respond. We have found this speaking to people in practice. I've talked to uh, researchers in cancer therapy using this method. They call it photodynamic therapy method to, to treat skin cancer. They treat a tumor in one place and another tumor elsewhere responds. So something's happening. And uh, there is a study that came out of uh, researchers in Israel uh, hypothesizing that, you know, it is creating stem cells when you when they direct light to the, the tibia of the mouse, uh, they get actually uh, scars in the heart post heart attack actually start healing. And also found that uh, rats with symptoms of Alzheimer's and so on uh, also improve. So here, but the hypothesis is the stem cells travel and you know you deposit to where it's needed elsewhere in the body, including the brain. But there are lots of other things happening. I'm actually writing up new ideas, um, saying that you know the the platelets. Mike Hamden of Harvard has always said you know the platelets got a lot to do with this because it's rich in mitochondria. But uh, adding to that, last year there was a paper published showing that activated platelets actually deposit mitochondria into the circulatory system. It's really interesting. Which means that now you have a real mechanism. Okay, you, you activate the platelets because it's your circulatory system circulates several times a minute, you know. So the platelets pick it up, and when your body is in, say, an inflamed situation or somewhere else, it deposits mitochondria, which carries the ATP. As you know, ATP does you know, uh, it's where it leads to gene transcription for healing. And there's another set of mechanism uh, involves what we call purinergic signaling. This is getting really established now in the field of physiology. It, is, it involves uh, the fact that the receptors for ATP, and let's talk about ATP. The receptors for ATP is ubiquitous, it's all over your body. So, when one cell is activated, say by the photons, it releases ATP extracellularly. Cellularly, the other cells start picking it up because they have ATP receptors, so they create a cascade. And then the ATP also is a co-neurotransmitter, so when they do that, you can actually uh, you know, stimulate neurotransmission. I'm getting a bit complicated, but no, that that makes a, that makes a lot of sense, and it's <laughs> it's interesting, especially because we have epidemic levels of mitochondria dysfunction, oh, yeah. and it 
it, you can start to see how it's likely that I, I don't have research to prove this, but it, it's very probable that when certain cells have suboptimal mitochondrial dysfunction, that other cells pick up the slack, in, increase their production of ATP, uh-huh. because because that ATP can then still be used by other cells even if they're not producing it themselves because of these receptor okay. sites. Yeah. Do you believe there are epigenetic changes that take place via low-level laser therapy? Yeah, I think, I mean, what you've just discussed involves some element of epigenetics. Um, you know, you are talking about pretty clear evidence for wound healing and all that stuff going on. And it is uh, rather how much uh, of a permanence that it takes. It's That part of it is hard to tell. Uh, but when you talk about the influence of, you know, genetic changes to lead that leads to healing and so on, I think that's pretty clearly, uh, you know, uh, taking place. Even in, you know, on, on a neurological side, people who had, say, you know, a long-standing disorder over many, many years seems to be recovering as well. So there's some elements of, uh, you know, re-establishment of what your body was supposed to be. How can your products be used by someone who's a traveling businessman or businesswoman that spends a lot of time flying? Well, you know, it's portable. Yeah, I, I, I take it with me. You know, we actually have a, a, a travel puff. I happened to have one here while I was using to carry something else. So you can put it in a pocket and just go anywhere you want. Now, long-distance travel actually has has a risk of, you know, DVT, deep vein thrombosis because of poor circulation. And uh, hypothetically, I think this helps, you know, because it does help with your circulation and so on. But... It's better to just stand up and walk around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it does reduce the risk of DVT. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. One of the benefits as well, and you know, please stop me if I'm spe- misspeaking, but the light therapy uh, reduces platelet aggregation. So rather than having clumps of red blood cells in the body, it helps the, the cells to spread out so that they're able to, they have more surface area for taking in oxygen and nutrients and thereby are able to produce more energy. Is that one of the other mechanisms that your technology... Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's one of the, the things it does. And you, you take a blood sample before and after, you can see the, the changes. We used to do it for fun because it's so easy to play around with, you know. Yeah. And talking about uh, long-distance travel and, you know, the, the problem with jet lag and so on, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, using this uh, at the right time, actually helps with, with reestablishing your circadian rhythm because there's some evidence from the Chinese studies uh, showing that the melatonin actually increases. Melatonin has several benefits, one of which, you know, there's this anti-cancer and so on, but one of which actually, as you know, melatonin is a hormone that puts you to sleep. And, and they did studies, uh, there's one even published in PubMed, I think we uh, involving the basketball players. Now, the good combination would be, you know, using this in the evening when you're about, supposedly you're about to go to bed and wake up, when you wake up in the morning, use bright blue light because that shuts off melatonin and keeps you awake and helps to reestablish your, you know, your circadian rhythm. Get up, get outside, look towards outside. the sun. It's good. Yeah, get outside. <laughs> yeah, get outside. Yeah. Take off, take off glasses and contacts that can block some of that 
some of that important UV light. Um, one of the things that I tell clients as well that fly a lot, because most people, they can feel a difference when they've spent a lot of time on an airplane. And they, they perhaps haven't even made the connection that there are these, uh, these changes and, and effects that are taking place to our circulatory system. But I usually recommend move around as much as you can during the flight, like you said, even doing some body weight squats to flush yeah. out the legs and improve circulation. Take, using your technology, the Violite, baby aspirin, taking four baby aspirin before a flight, compression mm -hmm. socks, and then mm -hmm. when you land, grounding, trying to reconnect with the earth, taking off your shoes and socks, yeah. and allowing that free transfer of electrons. I, I want to be respectful of your time, too. So maybe just a couple of quick rapid-fire questions about yeah. what is the first 60 to 90 minutes of your day look like? I got so many. The first thing I do is it's a bad thing. I, I you know, I just catch up with my emails before I take my breakfast as much as possible. I actually, a lot of my mornings uh, is actually done, uh, is spent doing research, you know, and thinking and but then, you know, afternoon would be the, the office stuff and, and, and so on. And I, I see really, I have a very late routine. I, I, I do is about four to five hours of sleep every night. You get four to five hours of sleep? Yeah, I don't promote that. <laughs> I, I just got used to it. But, you know, I, my energy level is still pretty good. I think, uh, you know, all these things help. You said you're 60 years old? Yeah. 60 and you're sleeping four to five hours a night, running companies? I, I, don't, I don't encourage that. I always tell people you must have enough sleep. <laughs> it's, enough sleep. it's funny. I, I, used to, I used to do the same thing. I've now, I've now ju just recently started valuing sleep more. Where do you go to do your research? Is it PubMed? Are there other sites that you go to? Other resources? Actually, one of the first things I do is um, to see what's the latest in the news, you know, regarding all the various conditions. And where do you and go for that? Google. Google, all right. <laughs> yeah, I get Google alerts on the things I follow through. And a lot of the, you know, because we do an international, uh, you know, our products go all over the world. I get email from all over the world. Uh, and they, they, you know, they pop up during the few hours when I'm asleep and sometimes I, I need to address them in the morning. And I like to get them out of the way because, you know, I just don't like to accumulate uh, unanswered emails that I need to answer. It just makes my, my, my life a bit more, I think, complicated. <laughs> so I, I respond to email pretty quickly. <laughs> so then after, after you've checked your email, you've done some research, then what? Uh, something to drag on. I, you know, I'm running a business, so we, you know, we have a lot of issues going on. Uh, you know, anything from engineering to uh, to the marketing side, conferences and getting ready for stuff like that. And, but I do get involved quite a lot with you know pr producing new products as well. So we have a couple of pr new products on the pipeline right now. What are you guys working on? We're developing a new version of Neuro. But I don't know what I discourage people from doing this because this could be a few months down the road. Um, and uh, we, so I'm developing a new system to actually boost the immune system. The immune system is really important, and uh, I think we, I, I think we have a way to actually boost it. You know, we do have really good feedback with the immune system right now. Uh, if we have really low white blood cell count like the HIV patients, we have patients actually 
got five, you know, they do a blood work every three months. And we got people who had T cell count increased significantly, even you know, to raise them to above the safety safety threshold level. So that's one, you know, people with low white blood cell count for other reasons. Now on the other side of the coin, people with overactive immune system like rheumatoid arthritis. Multiple sclerosis. Yeah, they get it, yeah, MS as well. Uh, MS is something I'm still discovering, but our rheumatoid arthritis, I'm actually surprised at the response. That you, so the whole thing about this photobiomodulation is when you get into your body, is you stimulate your body to reestablish systemic homeostasis. And what it does is, you know, there's a negative feedback loop going on all the time and this stimulates it and when the body feels that something is not in homeostasis, it's, it kind of, then it starts healing itself in that area. Uh, this was actually constantly proposed by my friend, a Chinese professor in China. Uh, and he relates that to the traditional Chinese medicine theory of yin and yang. Um, you can associate balancing yin and yang with the blood because they say that blood is the mother of what you call qi, and qi is a carrier of blood. So it's all related, you know. That's another way of looking at it. Um, but what it, the, but you know, changes in blood property is has been pretty evident to me. What book have you gifted most often? I say the based on more recent books that I'm reading, the book by Norman Deutsch. What's it called now? The brain that heals itself. It was the brain that changes itself before. The brain's way of healing. I think that's the last book. I think that's that's a pretty good book. The brain's way you of know, healing. I, an artist, a neurologist. He's a, actually a uh, psychiatrist, but pretty well versed in neurology and what's happening in the world, and a very independent and knowledgeable take on what is possible with the brain. I think that's. And he's now also involved with this in some way. <laughs> Excellent. I would, uh, I'm looking forward to checking that out. Last yeah. question. If you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would it be and why? I know it's, it's very kind of cliche, but I, I, I like to have, you know, sit down with Einstein. Yeah. I, he's, he's, he's a good one. There was, there was just a video a video that came out this this week where it was uh, they've they've finally heard the gravitational waves that Einstein predicted a hundred years ago. Yeah, you know Einstein was during his time was not a great supporter of quantum mechanics, but you know what what we're doing can there's some explanation in quantum mechanics as well, and there's some work done uh, by a group in University uh, University College in London. And they, they, you know, explaining why photosynthesis works, how the, the, the light excite the release of the excitron, the need, and it's got to be, you've got to have a reaction, they call it from the reaction center in, 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 a, in the plant cells to be able to make photosynthesis work. So you're talking about nanoseconds, you know, um, in the process, but but uh, conventional physics is not able to explain it, but they can ex uh, tend to explain it 
you know, if, if say the, the excitron is generated with the photons, activation has to go to the reaction center, but it, but it can find its way there because of all these barriers in between. The only way it can get there is by explaining it to uh, quantum mechanics, where, uh, what's that explanation, the, where the, the, the quantum particle is able to be everywhere at the same time, to be able to find it. So... More, more and more, it seems, is coming down to the quantum level to really understand how things are taking yeah. place and, and to make sense of concepts like grounding and structured water, photobiomodulation, electron transfer. Lou, I, I, we've, we've gone over, uh, but I've had a lot of fun and learned a ton. I really appreciate your time, and I'm, I'm very excited. I've been impressed and love all of your products, so I'm excited for what the future holds in store. And I, I, I thank you, sir. I, hopefully we can, we can do it again sometime. Sure. Well, thank you for making this happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Have, have a wonderful day, my friend. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. So Bye, Anthony. Bye-bye. Take care. This episode is brought to you by the Quantlet. The Quantlet is a wearable device similar to the Fitbit Charge HR that can help maximize your body's performance. Now, whereas the Fitbit Charge HR does so by providing additional data points and modifying behavior, the Quantlet does so by modifying cellular biology, and it does this through a concept called photobiomodulation. Photobiomodulation delivers multiple frequencies of light into the body, specifically through the radial and ulnar arteries on the wrist, and these frequencies have been scientifically proven to improve tissue repair, reduce inflammation, and eradicate pain. The end result to you is increased exercise capacity, delayed onset of fatigue, better mood, and improved sleep patterns. The Quantlet also extracts heat from the body using the Peltier effect through a thermoelectric cooling mechanism, which then improves your body's capacity to perform at its best because of this light and cold energy. The Quantlet is available for pre-order at www.thequantlet.com forward slash biohacks. That's www.quantlet.com forward slash biohacks. The Quantlet will be released in September 2016, and I've got my pre-order in already, and I can't wait. Today's episode is brought to you by drpollock.com, your go-to resource for pulsed electromagnetic field information and therapy devices. I personally use a number of Dr. Pollock's products, including the PEMF120 and the FlexPulse. The PEMF120 has been shown to accelerate recovery, improve performance, reduce swelling. It produces intensities between 1,000 and 15,000 Gauss, which stimulate all levels of the body, affecting the individual cells that make up tissues, organs, and complete body cells systems. It is not a portable device, but it's incredibly powerful and it's a non-invasive solution for pulsed electromagnetic field therapy. If you're in the market for something with a little bit lower intensity, something that's more portable, then I recommend the Flex Pulse. It produces similar results and, and similar pulsed electromagnetic fields, but at a much smaller intensity. And some people believe at an intensity that is more biocompatible. The system has six preset programs with varying frequencies to leverage the power of electromagnetic energy to treat a host of conditions and to optimize physical and mental performance. Dr. Pollock's products have been leveraged to treat everything from Alzheimer's, lumbar disc disease, depression, anxiety, Lyme's disease, multiple sclerosis, osteoarthritis, spinal cord injuries, seizures, epilepsy, sleep disorders, sports injury recovery, and much, much more. 
I recommend pulsed electromagnetic field therapy to many of my clients and listeners, and drpollock.com has some of the best products on the market. You can check out the PMF120 and the Flex Pulse and the rest of Dr. Pollock's products at www.drpawluk.com. That's drpollock.com, www.drpawluk.com.